0: Welcome to the FM Global Resilience is a Choice podcast. I'm your host, Steve McGrath. Well, it's been a dramatic year to say the least, and there's been a lot of business disruption and personal suffering around the world. Among the many reasons for this disruption and suffering are record wildfires in both hemispheres. Here from Australia to discuss wildfires and business continuity in general is Lynette Schultes. She's Senior Vice President and Operations Manager at FM Global Australia. She's also one of Insurance Business Magazine's Global 100, a list of industry figures making waves on the global stage. Good morning, Lynette. How are you? Good morning, Steve. I'm well. So you're based in Australia, but you spent, as we can tell from your um, accent, or lack of it to us, that you spent some time in the U.S. and the U.K. as well. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: I'm American. So I started in the US, primarily I spent most of my years my 34 years with FM Global in Dallas, Texas. Um, but I I did go to Australia previously. I've been in uh, the Melbourne office back in 2008 to 2010. And then I returned to Dallas. And then in 2016, I took over the AFM regional manager role and was over all of Europe. And that was a great experience for me, which was very enlightening. And then from there, I came directly to the Sydney office.
0: Very nice. Let's dive into the uh, wildfire situation. First of all, you don't call them wildfires, do you, in Australia?
1: No, we do not. We refer to those as bushfires. When I was in Melbourne back in 2008, 2010, we had the, I believe it was a Black Friday incident where there was a fire um, and I could look outside my window and you could see that a fire had just started along the highway. It was so dry and it was so hot that the heat was just immense. And then coming to Sydney, I think the difference for me was that it was just an ongoing daily news report of the fires and how they were spreading. And you don't think about it necessarily in the the city areas, the urban areas, but literally you could go to bed at night and many times you'll leave your windows open because there's many times a cool breeze and you could be um, awoken by the smell of fire. It could smell like your house was on fire anytime any night and then you could because you do leave your windows open with the screens you could go into your kitchen and go along your kitchen cabinet and just run a finger across it like a white glove and you'll find ash on your cabinets or on your countertop even though i don't feel like we were immediately we did not have um, a threat to us in the urban areas it still was very very prevalent that everyone was feeling the the tension of everyone around If that had occurred during the pandemic, if we overlaid that with the pandemic, how scary would that be in the fact that the cough and the inability to breathe or the difficulty in breathing that's presented by a bushfire and the smoke, the smoke that could be seen over the city of Sydney just because the wind was blowing it in this direction. We were really never had a threat in our office, let's say, or in our homes many times because they were more urban. But it was always there. The smoke could roll in and you could just, you couldn't ignore it. It was there all the time. I I almost compared it many times to living in an ashtray.
0: In the US, on the West Coast, as you know, there's kind of a wildfire season every year and you're going to expect some wildfires every year. Is it the same in Australia or was this year kind of a, a flare up?
1: I feel with climate change, this is going to be a more regular occurrence. Now, Australia is going into La Nina. So there's going to be areas that will be experiencing more rainfall than we have ever. However, that will be only on like the northern and the eastern coast. So the southern coast, which is southern Australia will still be dry, it will still be hot, and they will still be prone to bushfires, but we're hoping well, you just substitute one natural catastrophe for another, right? So rather than the bushfires, we're not expecting as many bushfires in those areas, but we are expecting more rainfall and more flooding.
0: I did a look, quick uh, search before the call, and the numbers I came up with are that in Australia, during what was called the Black Summer, I'm told, 46 million acres burned for a value of 103 billion australian dollars in property damage and economic loss equivalent to 75 billion dollars u.s so that 46 million acres compares is like five times or so more than the eight million that burned in the u.s west coast this year for a value by one estimate of 10 billion dollars u.s so it sounds like more land in australia but in each case there were some records broken and there was some serious property loss life loss etc
1: i was just in the blue mountains for a weekend and you can actually see the charred trees the branches and the the tree trunks but you can already see the natural the growth underneath starting it's it's coming back but the animals are still they're still not there so it's sad that's one of the sad things where i think it's that's not as easily replaceable
0: amen so how did um FM Global Clients Fair.
1: The issue with bushfire, right, is that it's not as easy as put sprinklers in your building and we can pretty much promise you that you will suppress the fire. So it's a lot of cleaning away um, the area around um, the vegetation around your building. And we didn't have that many clients that were exposed to a full-fledged fire that came into the path of the fire. So we did have some losses as we would expect, but there wasn't anything that we were totally surprised by or caught out by. So we and we always try to contact our clients ahead of time as we see a fire approaching or we're watching it all the time, just to make sure that they've done all the preparation that they can. But it's also, we're also trying to protect our engineers that many times are going on to a site visit. So if we're anticipating they could be going into an area where there's an impending fire or a fire could spread We're very cautious on trying to make sure that our engineers are being safe about it and aren't going into an area that could, maybe it's not in the fire zone now, but could, depending on how the wind changes. So it's something that we was carefully watching every day as far as where are the fires and where are they spreading to. So not just from our client standpoint, but also from our own personnel standpoint.
0: What are a couple of things a business can do if they are near Uh, wildland, fire, or bushfire environment?
1: Some of it's very common sense in some respects. It's just sometimes you just need to remind people that if you can clear the trees that perhaps are the branches that are overhanging or the vegetation that is close to your building, you know, you you should trim that down or remove it. If you have any storage of highly flammable liquids, you you would want to remove them from your building if you can. Remove them off the site if you can. Another thing that we have found is that a lot of times we can have the embers. So as you're, if you think about a tree that's burning and the bark comes off as it's peeling off, it catches fire and the wind can then take it and blow it miles. It can, it can blow it to an area that will catch fire again. But what we're trying to show our clients is that you can have vents that you can close or you can seal with a, a mesh, let's say a gauze to prevent those embers from entering your building. It's a very quick, easy thing that you can do, but if you feel like there's a fire approaching, those are some easy things that you can take care of pretty quickly.
0: So I imagine with the specter of business disruption from wildfires, it prompts organizations to think about continuity, business continuity and business disruption. How many companies... In general, actually, have business continuity plans.
1: I would say if they didn't have a plan before the pandemic, they certainly have a plan now. I, I think it would you would be hard pressed to find any company that can say that they don't have business continuity plan because I feel like everyone will have been ex- will have to have invoked their plan at this point. I think when I reflect on our business continuity plan, we had an exercise, we practiced it annually. And one of the things that I noticed coming into the operation is um, in Australia, because we will run our own plan locally, is that it was very orchestrated. So we would set a date in the calendar and we would all plan to be there in our, you know, in our incident command room and we would go through our checklist and um, we would be presented with an incident or an occurrence, some some type of event and we would have a, a checklist of all the things and who was responsible for what. What we would do is we would have our corporate um, risk management team initiate the exercise and that they would watch how we perform and then critique us as to you could have done this better, you did this very well. So it was kind of like involving a third party. And one of the things that I always found interesting is we have a lot of people in normal times would travel and so we have our primary person who is responsible for these tasks and then they have a backup and what i realized is the backup never really had to play the part so because it was pre-planned we always knew everybody had to be there on the day that the last time and it was just weird timing that i talked to my um, risk management group and i said i want to surprise them i want to shake up the world that we live in And so we actually initiated it before working hours and we had an an incident that would involve both offices because we would always say, oh, we'll we'll divert everything to the other office. And I'm like, no, let's make it so both offices are affected at the same time. And what do we do? And um, I have to say that I got the best feedback from everyone going, that was very valuable. And the fact that that was more of a real life because we had to stop people from coming in we had to deal with the people that had already gotten to the office. What do you do with them? Do you, you know, do you shelter? Do you send them home? So I guess, I think it just, it's one of those things where you have to think outside the box sometimes. And it's great to plan for, and it's great to um, provide and do an exercise. And I, I would suggest doing one at least every year, but if it's too orchestrated or too planned, then you're not really getting the, the real issues that might come to play. And it was just fortunate for us that we had we had worked out this exercise and the fact that we had to determine whether or not everyone could, in fact, work from home. It did bring out some issues that we could resolve before we went into the pandemic. And at that point, we had no issues whatsoever with people working from home, and we had already identified those.
0: Wow, that's terrific. I assume there are a lot of people who, if they have a business continuity plan, rarely train or test it. And I assume if they do, they probably do the sort of work scheduling and coffee and donuts routine. So you guys sound like you're you're pretty advanced and uh, pretty refined in that process. I actually did find a stat before the call. Somebody did a survey in February and found that only 51% of Companies in thirty seven countries said that they had a um, business continuity plan that accounted or that prepared them for the pandemic, so there's clearly a sort of cohort out there that's not doing it, doesn't have it, maybe has one, and doesn't know they have one but um for those people and people like them, what other kinds of things should be in a business continuity plan
1: response is is imminent i mean that is one of the one of the most important things that you can do is how quickly can you respond? So it's really based on authority levels and being able to make decisions so you have to have the right people in place that can do that so that you can respond quickly and you have to anticipate that that person that you have assigned may be on holiday may be on vacation so you have to plan for plan you're always planning for that other plan b right i i believe that it starts from the top if you if your executives do not find the importance in it or drive the importance of having this then it it doesn't filter through the, the culture of the the other employees and it's just a matter of trying to determine what issues could prevent you from conducting your business on a normal basis and you know everyone's going to be different um, and i think right now one of the the big things that probably scares me the most is a worldwide cyber event With business continuity plans, we've always looked at one event at a time, whereas now I almost feel like we have to overlay different events. If you were in a situation where you were still in a pandemic and on top of that, you were exposed to a flood event or a bushfire, you have to consider how does that then play out in your business continuity plan and your response plan because, trust me, a flood doesn't care. La Nina does not care that we're in a pandemic they will st- it will still hit and you will still have to deal with it
0: you know when I when I first heard business continuity plan I'm thinking well it's a big binder that you work really hard to put together goes on the shelf and hopefully you pull it down when there's a disaster afoot but when you talk about these intersecting disruptions and disasters you need to keep it in your head and you're going to be consulting it and updating it and revising it quite a bit. What are the different roles for the different people? Like who should be responsible for the plan? Where should the CFO, who is, who make up a big part of our audience, what should their role be? Risk managers?
1: I feel like the the CFO doesn't necessarily have to be in the trenches, but they do need to have an overview and an oversight of everything. Because many times you're going to rely on your facility managers to take you know I'm not expecting the CFO to take charge of that facility on the ground or in that specific area but I do feel like that they have to be aware of what the plan looks like and have some comfort and confidence that it will respond as you expect it to and it's not going to be the risk managers that's going to have to report to the board why they weren't able to open their doors when their competitor across the street was so But I don't feel like you can totally step away from it and say, that's not my, I've delegated that, that's not my responsibility. Because I I feel like there can be an event that could be big enough that will impact your shareholder value and your board is going to want to know what happened.
0: So I did some more Googling before the call and was trying to get a sense of what are some of the ingredients in a, a business continuity plan. And among them are, relocating, if if you have a disruption where you have to leave your facility and resume your business elsewhere, moving records, recovering the IT systems, continuing HR, having an emergency response team, and establishing somewhere an emergency operations center. Do those sound like some of the core
1: functions? Certainly, yes. And I, I feel like you also have to look at how does that affect your suppliers? And can you move who your supplier is to a different supplier?
0: How long should it take to develop a uh, business continuity plan if you don't really have one? Is this like a, a year long effort or is it something you can kind of, you know, is it a lighter lift than that? You can get it done in a couple months or.
1: I would say that there's nothing that would prevent you from getting a business continuity plan together within 90 days. It doesn't have to be perfect. Any version of a business continuity plan is better than none. And to me, they're constantly evolving. So you can't just assume that you're one and done, you're gonna have to evolve it as you discover things and as your company grows and expands into different areas. So that's what I'm saying. I don't feel like you have to make it perfect. I would just say, you just have to figure out the basics and make sure that the people that have the authority and can make the decisions are there and able to do it. And you will learn. And that's why I feel like you have to go and revisit it. You can't just put it on the shelf and call it done. I think as you learn things, as you go through things, you just continue to add those things into your plan.
0: Is there an ideal role who should be kind of the captain, the point person for the corporate plan? Um, somebody between the manager of each facility and the CFO? Like, a, I don't know, an HR head? Would that make sense?
1: Well, to me, if you have a risk manager, that is your person. Many times the CFO will wear many hats, which might also include the risk management hat. So there it falls to them. And if not, then like I said, many times it defaults to your CFO who may have to wear more than one hat.
0: What final thought would you want to make sure that our listeners took away with them today?
1: I would just suggest that everyone, if you haven't taken a look at your BCP in a while, that it's not something that should be gathering dust on a shelf, that it should be um, a living document that should be looked at and constantly evaluated to assess whether or not it's, it's relevant. Consider that you could have multiple events occurring at the same time. So I would just challenge risk managers or CFOs to look at their plan and determine if there were multiple events occurring at the same time, if they would do anything differently. And again, it's always about responding quickly. So just make sure that you have the right people that are able to make the decisions in place and that have the authority to make the call because response time is going to be a game changer.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and learning about business continuity plans.
1: Certainly, glad I could help.